Let's pray. God, we do celebrate your resurrection. God, we celebrate, um, Lord, we just celebrate what that brings to us. Brings us life, God. Brings us joy. Lord, I pray that it would uh, be embedded in our hearts again today. The joy of knowing that you conquered the grave. Lord, we love you. Move among us. Teach us from your word. Show us Christ from the Bible. And may we see him and find him beautiful. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. No matter how how the sermon goes, uh, be aware that Papacitas is in the house. Uh, That should give you some excitement. Amen. So uh, it's going to be good. We're going to have a good time, good time of fellowship. Thank you, Dr. Hatch, for your leadership in all this. Um, you have been so gracious to us. Uh, we have said this uh, many services uh, to the, uh, some of the people who have come here from New uh, Life for the last several weeks, but we have a lot more here. And so on behalf of the Congregation of Sovereign Life Fellowship, we are thankful for you that you allowed us an opportunity to use this building. We were, oh, amen. Yeah. I called Dr. Hatch, and I said, I've got 100 people that are trying to be meeting in the church, and the Lord's added about 50 people to us in six months, and I have no place to meet. Help me, brother. <laughs> and uh, y'all have been so gracious to help, and we are very thankful uh, for that, uh, for sure. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6. Paul writing to the Ephesians, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. This is the word of God. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's uh, break this down. Uh, We walk expositionally through the scriptures uh, in our church. So what that means is we're going to walk through uh, kind of verse by verse and talk about what it means. Let's just first deal with this, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Whenever you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself, what's there for? There you go. And so we need to talk about that a little bit, about this, this letter to the Ephesians. Paul has been addressing uh, the Ephesians throughout the first three chapters of this letter um, about several difficulties that these Gentile believers were facing. This was a church made up mostly of Gentiles, uh, which is a broad term for uh, anyone or any nation uh, that were not Jews. And the Gentiles uh, were well aware of the opinions that Jews had about non-Jews. The Gentiles, uh, by and large, from the Scripture, were despised by the Jews. Uh, They were considered unclean. They were not a part of God's chosen people. And if you remember, uh, this 
even affected the disciples. Even after Jesus ascended and commissioned the disciples to go out and preach the gospel to the world, the bold apostle Peter, my favorite uh, character in the Bible because uh, he messes up all the time and makes me feel a lot better, I can assure you. Uh, he walked on the sea. Uh, he proclaimed Christ first. Um, if you remember, uh, he defended Christ when the soldiers came to arrest him. He wasn't a very good swordsman, but uh, nevertheless, um, he, uh, this was Peter, the bold Peter, the, the leader in many ways of the disciples, the, the very one who rebuked Jesus and denied Jesus. I don't even know who you are. You get, you're, you're not even, I don't even know you. Get away, you know. Was also the same guy who preached the first sermon in the New Testament church. 3,000 people got saved. That Peter, even that apostle, struggled and wilted under the pressure of being around the Gentiles. If you remember in Galatians chapter 2, uh, he was fellowshipping with the Gentiles. And when certain people from the circumcision party came along, Peter withdrew from them out of fear. That Peter withdrew, earning him uh, what I'm sure Peter was used to by then, a very sharp rebuke uh, from Paul. And Paul calls him out for his lack of understanding the gospel. That's strong. And so these Gentiles and Ephesians were no strangers to the lack of belief that they, because of who they were, not Jews, could be a part of the family of God. And much of the New Testament letters to the churches will address this idea of unity in the body because of Christ. Jesus did, in fact, come for the Jews first, but they rejected him. And so the mystery of God unfolds that the Gentiles themselves are included as those who can respond to the gospel and be saved. We have a hard time understanding this mentality. When I was in high school, uh, most of my teenage, all of my teenage years, we were a member of uh, a private country club. Um, it's kind of a neat thing to be a member of the country club. If I can just say so, I was a member of the country club. <laughs> uh, one of the, the, only, the major star of Spring Hill High School back then was a guy named Chad Mackey. And Chad Mackey was a friend of mine, but Chad Mackey was gifted in everything that I was not gifted in, that I wanted to be gifted in, which was sports. I wanted to be a superstar in the sports. And because Chad existed, I could not be a superstar in sports. He was phenomenal. He would go on to set every East Texas record known to man for wide receivers. He would go on to Louisiana Tech, break all the records. In fact, I, I think I saw just a few, uh, my oldest son would probably know, but I think it was last year that somebody finally broke his records at Louisiana Tech University. He went on to play a little while in the NFL, but this guy was gifted at every single thing. I would jump off a diving board and, and do a cannonball. He would jump off a diving board and do 17 different somersault things and leave no splash. And I... <laughs> I loved him, and I hated him, if you know what I mean. And so what drove me crazy is I was the member of the country club. Are we tracking here? He was not. But he would go with me as my guest. I needed some self-esteem at this time. 
because I was with Chad. And anytime we would walk into the country club, people would stop him and they'd go, hey, that was a great game you had Friday, which could be any game. He was good at basketball and football. and He was good at all of them. <laughs> Drove me crazy. And they would stop him. Adults would just see him and they'd come over and chat with him and be like, that was a great game, that grand slam in the bottom of the ninth. And, I'd be, and they would, then they would get finished talking to him and they'd go, who's your guest? <laughs> I'm the member. I'm not a guest. And it happened all the time, and he would just smile, and I would hate him more. Um, anyway, that's somewhat how you could kind of see this idea with the Jews. They were the chosen ones. And now these Gentiles, the mystery of God had unfolded, and he was including them too. And now that created some animosity and Paul addresses much of that to these Gentile believers in the church in Ephesus to remind them of the beauty of the gospel. We see it in Ephesians chapter 1, 7 through 10. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We see it in Ephesians chapter 2, 12 through 22, when it says this, Remember, speaking to the Gentiles, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of, commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Who? Jews, Gentiles. Made us both one, and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us to both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, listen, Gentiles, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That was good news to Gentiles. Ephesians chapter 3, he says this, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, this is good if you're a Gentile, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
Oh, it's good news. And because of that, Paul continues. So, therefore, because I'm a prisoner and these things are true, listen, Gentiles, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, the calling of being a joint heir, the calling of being a part of the family of God, the calling of being a partaker in the promise of Christ through the gospel. Walk in a manner worthy of that calling to which you have been called. In light of all Paul has already said about these Gentiles, he tells them, remember what God has done for you, that you once were far off, and now you've been brought near. That you are now a partaker of the promise. So walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Then he goes to verse 2 and he says, this is how you walk, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So how do we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? Well, we walk in a manner of humility and gentleness with patience and bearing with one another in love. Now, how many of you have grown up in church? How many of y'all understand what it means to bear with one another in love? (laughs) Seeing, imagine being a Gentile who was considered unclean by the Jews. They were taught, don't have anything to do with them. And now, because of Christ, they're a part of the body. And Paul tells these Gentiles, listen, they're going to have a hard time with this. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that which we've called you. Bear with one another in love. And then he moves to verse 3. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Because we understand the calling, we have a desire and an eagerness to maintain the unity. I I, want to make sure, Gentiles, that you understand that that you also have a role in maintaining the unity between all of those who are of the faith in Christ in one body. Why? Why do we walk this way? Why walk with believers in humility? Why walk with gentleness and patience? Why bear with one another in love? And why be eager to maintain the bond of peace? Why? We find the answers in verses 4, 5, and 6. In verse 4, he says, here's why. There is one body. One body. Paul references this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 12 Verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 12, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Listen. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slave and free, and all were made to drink one spirit. One spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13, he says this, we were all made, I just did that one, we were all made in one body with one spirit, same, same verses, we have one body, one spirit, all Jews, all Gentiles, all slaves, all free. You can create your list of all categories of all people who have ever believed the gospel, and they are part of one body and one spirit. And then he says, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. 
In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul said it this way, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we gather today, we should be reminded of how great the riches of his mercies have been to us. One body, one spirit, called to one hope. That one hope is described by Peter later in chapter 1, 3 through 4, where he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. One hope. And then in verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 4, it says, One Lord. One Lord. In John 14, 6, Jesus said it this way, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There is one Lord, and there is one faith. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints. What faith had he heard of? The faith they had in the gospel. There's one faith. And then there is one baptism. Matthew chapter 28, 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Baptist. (laughs) We wish it said that. It does not. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's one baptism. And then in verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 4, he says it this way, There is one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let me reread the elder reading this morning just to remind you again of what Dr. Hatch read. Now, before faith came, we were held captive in the law, imprisoned until the coming faith could be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And listen, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, that doesn't mean you have to be baptized to get saved. That just means that it is a symbol of baptism or a symbol of salvation. For as many of you were baptized into Christ and having put on Christ, there is now, listen, there is neither, no more, listen, there is no more dividing wall. The hostility is gone. Listen, there is one body. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. What do Dr. Hatch and I have in common? Not a lot. Because I found out he was good at basketball. (laughs) He was gifted. I was the guy who couldn't dribble. (laughs) Weren't born in the same area. Didn't go to the same schools. And just because we are both pastors is not enough to bind our hearts. 
else, what could we have in common that would be deeper and more powerful than that? Is that we are both sinners, saved by grace. The same grace offered by the same Father, provided through the same Savior, Jesus Christ, bestowed on us through one faith, and that faith alone. Listen, the gospel unites. It breaks down the walls. It puts the farmer at the same table as the stockbroker. Every race and every color of people and every language, it puts them at the same table. And not just to eat together, no, 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 to fellowship and do life with one another, even other denominations. Now, the air just got sucked out of the room, and everyone in here with a seminary degree or a Bible degree went, whoa. I am well aware that not every building that hangs a church sign on it is a true church. I'm well aware that there are false churches that the Bible taught us about, teaches us about, and makes us aware of. And we most certainly need to be aware, watchful, and we should most certainly test the fruit of those who claim to speak on behalf of Christ. Healthy doctrine matters. It's not enough to say, well, we all believe in Jesus. I need to know who your Jesus is. But listen, (laughs) some of our own Jesuses are some of our own preferences. And it's not what this book says. If this book is the Jesus you believe in, and we can walk that out through healthy doctrine, then you are a brother or sister in Christ. And I am also well aware, whether we all want to believe it or not, that there will be other denominations in heaven. (laughs) There are going to be Methodists in heaven. There's going to be Lutherans in heaven. There are going to be charismatic, yes, charismatics in heaven. There are going to be Presbyterians in heaven. There's even going to be Church of Christ. Now, they're going to think they're the only ones there. But I digress. And we may disagree on secondary issues, like baptism. Listen, I believe, I believe, I believe that the Bible teaches we submerge. I think it's as clear as it can be. I got brothers and sisters who love Jesus, who want, go, who want the gospel to go forth, who are passionate about our King, who disagree. But if their core teachings of the gospel are believed by someone, whatever other secondary issues I have problems with, or even tertiary issues, they still will walk into the throne room of heaven covered by the blood of Christ. Now, I'm a Baptist. And Baptists have gotten a lot of things right. But brother, we have gotten a lot of things wrong. (laughs) But whether anyone in here likes it or not, this is all my cards on the table. Is this, is this a good service to have all the cards on the table? I am, I know it's a shock, but I am not on a crusade for the Baptist. I am on a crusade for the gospel. I am not rooting that the Baptist win. I'm rooting that the gospel wins. That's what my heart is for is that people would come to know Christ 
Now, why? Because only in Christ are we united to one another. In Christ lies the power of becoming one with our brothers and sisters. And we can even disagree. And even in our disagreements, we can still be one and strive side by side for the gospel. That's what we're called to. If we had put nearly as much energy and all the arguments that we've debated over secondary issues and put that toward missions. Oh, how many more people would have come to know Christ by now? If we'd have set, the guy, set aside our secondary issues, how many small, struggling churches like both of ours, we're both small, could have come together for one goal, and that is to strive side by side for the gospel. Instead, we all lay our claim to our little area. Is this too uncomfortable? It's not in my notes. <laughs> and churches struggle across this country, and they refuse to unite. You know why? Because they don't realize they are in the same body with the same Savior, striving side by side for the gospel. Philippians 1:27, Paul said this way, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Here it is again, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and in one mind. Here's what I want you to be doing, striving side by side for the gospel. Do you see the picture here? Jews and Gentiles, people, from as far opposite ideas and opposite cultures and opposite understanding of the promise of God as you could possibly ever get. And Paul says, I want you to strive side by side for the gospel. Strive side by side for the gospel. And may we remember that our calling to unity is not a call to uniformity. We are not always going to agree. But for those in Christ, we are called to unity. Rooting for the gospel to advance above all other secondary disagreements that are not central to the gospel. And here's the reality, whether we like it or not. There's a lot of things that you think are central to the gospel that are not central to the gospel. They're not. And let me tell you, if a godly, Bible-preaching, gospel-centered church that's a Methodist or a Lutheran, they send a mission team to Africa, I am praying they win. Praying that they have a fruitful endeavor for the gospel. Now, we want to get them to the Baptist church later, but <laughs> because the gospel is what it's about. In John 17, Jesus talks about why it's crucial that we be unified, not necessarily uniformity, but that we be unified around our calling. He said it this way, I do not ask for these only in his high priestly prayer, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. And here's why it matters. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity matters. Because the world doesn't see us as unified. They see us in total chaotic disagreement. And if we serve the same Jesus, how can we fight that much? when we supposedly only have one mission. How we as believers play on the playground with other believers matters. Listen, some of you are freaking out right now because you think I'm talking about ignoring doctrine. I am not. What I'm saying is let's elevate the gospel high. 
And the way we play with each other on the playground matters because our gathering together and our playtime on the playground is telling a story to the world. May it be the gospel story that we tell. Now, we break out our tables in a minute and put food on it and eat. We may be, we may well be two congregations. John Carr is going to like this. I don't know where he is. There he is. John Carr is going to like this. We may be two congregations, but we are one church. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have any idea. What happens if y'all stay there and we stay here? I don't have any idea, but I don't know this much. If you stay there, I hope you strive side by side with us for the gospel. And I hope you grow and do magnificent things for the kingdom of God. And I hope you pray the same thing for us. So as we gather and eat, may we celebrate the gospel as we fellowship with one another. May we laugh with joy. May new friendships be kindled. May the sharing of burdens occur. May our hearts be encouraged. May our hopes be renewed. May new dreams of the future be spoken of. And may tears of gratitude stream down our faces. For the gospel has brought us together. And may we sit back in awe of our great God. Who has richly provided us everything we could ever need or want. And may what we do in a few minutes simply be a rehearsal for the day that we gather at one table and we fellowship with our king. And I pray that today that we would leave with the gospel on our lips, telling the old, old story about a Savior who left glory to rescue his people, the gospel. Now you may say, "What? there you go, church. I love it. What is this gospel that you keep talking about so much? I am so glad you asked. This is the gospel. If you're not with Sovereign Life, this is the end of the sermon. <laughs> That's why Sovereign Life got excited. <laughs> what is the gospel? Here's the gospel. You were born into sin. Nobody had to teach you how to sin. You sin naturally all by yourself. In fact, you could teach a class on it. That's how good you are. And that sin separated us from a holy, holy, holy God. And yet even in our separation, even while we were in rebellion to God, even while we were sinning against him, committing cosmic treason, as R.C. Sproul would say. Even in that moment, God loved us. And he loved us so much that he sent Christ to, to take our place on the cross, to live a life that we could never live, a life of perfection, take our punishment on the cross. And for those who would repent and believe, Jesus would take our sin and we would get his righteousness. And people say, well, how do I come to know Christ? Don't I have to say a certain kind of prayer? Don't I have to say it in a certain kind of way? Don't I have to take the pastor's hand? Don't, don't I have to wait till the, till the song place? Listen, folks, let's do what the Bible says. And the Bible says over and over and over again, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Simultaneously occurring. And repent means this is not the life I want anymore. 
I recognize it as sinful. And I confess that to you, Christ. And I believe, I believe that you can rescue me from that. And that can be said in so many different kinds of ways. People would say, well, how then do I know that I am a believer? How do I know that I have met Christ? Here's why. You will never be the same again. You may still fail and you will see, still struggle, but your life will be forever different because of the gospel. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are good. God, I pray that we would hold healthy doctrine close and we would fight for the truth of the Bible. And yet in matters that are not gospel-centered, I pray, Lord, that we would be drawn in unity with all believers to strive side by side for the gospel. I pray, Lord, for our time of fellowship with these two churches. Lord, I have no idea what your hand is up to. But it just seems like something you would do to unite people in one journey. So God, I, uh, I pray that our fellowship would just be wonderful, that new friendships would be created, that there would be laughter and joy, and all of that would flow out of the good news of Jesus Christ. Do a great thing among us, I pray, Lord. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.